What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. This is John Howell Essential Cuts, your daily rundown of the best of the best from today's show on 890 WLS. This show uh, continues to be a contributor-driven show. In other words, we go to the experts, the writers, the forensic reporters who look into how our government works, both on a national level and uh, state and local level. Thank uh, gosh, we thank goodness we have people like our next guest to do the heavy lifting for the rest of us because we're too uh, distracted by the scandal of the day. So reading from uh, the Better Government Association's website, bettergov.org. Chicago City Council is off to a slow start in 2023. Only about 40% of its time in session so far. About two out of every five hours between the opening and the closing gavels have been spent legislating. The other 60% was spent noting significant birthdays, retirements, tributes, another other non-binding resolutions, and yes, even honorary street signs. Wow, I, I said one-third. It's actually closer to two-thirds. Let's start there with Jeffrey Cubbage, policy and budget analyst for the Better Government Association. He focuses on the General Assembly and Chicago City Council. Jeffrey, welcome back to WS. Thanks for your time. Thanks very much. Happy to be with you. Even after studying government for as long as you have and all the fine print, is this a surprise? It's a surprise that it seems to be getting worse. You know, we looked back as far as there's video recording for, which is only all the way back to November 2019, and overall about one-third of their time is spent on these honorary resolutions. But like you said at the start of the section here, this year it's crept up to more like a 40%, 60% split. So the trend's not looking promising. Is this because there's so many retirements that they wanted to get their street signs before they uh, got out of the public sector? Very likely. And I have to correct you just a tiny bit. A, a street sign is technically technically a binding piece of legislation. They actually sign that into law. So those don't even count towards these totals that we've put up there. So that doesn't count because that is yeah, actually something they do as opposed to just standing up and saying, I want to thank the Billy Goat for their pepper and egg sandwich. That's correct. That's correct. We only looked at things were, that were done uh, under the suspension of the rules where someone will stand up and say, yeah, I know we've got an agenda, but I want to go off the agenda and honor this, that, or the other thing. Those were the only things we included in our total. Is there an audible groan when somebody stands up and says, I'd like to ask for a temporary suspension of the rules? Oh, you do hear it, especially at meetings where they do it multiple times. You know, most often this happens right after public comment. But like I said, it's not on the agenda. They can do it anytime they want. And sometimes they'll do it two or three times. A different alderman will have something else on their mind and they'll pop up further on in the uh, section and they'll stand up and you'll kind of hear that sigh ripple through the room as everyone realizes, well, here we go again. I remember every time that uh, Burton Terrace would get up, and this predates the video, uh, you, you never knew what was going to come up. It could be a horse poop. It could be rats. It could be any number of things. And uh, the most of the council be uh, transfixed. They'd be mesmerized by what uh, Burton Terrace is going to say. Why don't they do something other than do this during an actual city council meeting? Can't they just do this via paperwork or something online? 
They do, and they actually do even more of it by a paperwork. There's what's called the omnibus, which is the honorary resolutions that get passed without debate. There's thousands of those, and I do mean thousands. Every month you get a couple hundred birthdays, retirements, business anniversaries, what have you, that nobody does a speech on, nobody takes up floor time on. And then you get even these few beyond it where they do take time out of the agenda to suspend the resolution and do it. So there's, there's an item on the agenda for handling this, but it's the part that's supposed to be done without speeches. Do any of these honorary speeches, there's no way that they can toss us off to committee. In other words, nobody ever can object to these, correct? Well, in theory, to suspend the rules takes a majority vote. So in theory, if someone said, yeah, I want to take a roll call vote on that motion to suspend the rules, you'd need 26 elders to go along with it. But the reality is they almost never object. So most of the time, you'll just hear someone say, I'd like to suspend the rules. I hear an honorary resolution, and there'll be a brief pause, and the chair will say, no objection, so ordered, and then off we go. That's Jeffrey Cubbage. He's a policy and budget analyst for the Better Government Association. Headline is, Chicago City Council spends one-third of its meetings on honorary speeches, not including the honorary speech, uh, the street signs. I misspoke there. So is this just how it's going to go on for the foreseeable future, or is this going to be in some way improved to be more efficient? Well, we've got a new council coming in, so we can hope that uh, if they're talking about reforms to how they do business, this could be one of them. You know, there's a lot of ways they could do it. We did look at some other cities that have dedicated agenda time, set time limits, things like that. There's plenty of ways you can tidy this up. We'll just have to hope the new council considers that a priority. So in your study here, uh, the time permitted in the study, 46 hours discussing just honorary resolutions and about 90 hours dedicated to actually laws. Yeah, since November 2019, that is. How are things at the Better Government Association? Better Government Association is doing great. We're happy to be taking a look at this. At the state level, we're working on judicial FOIA campaign, which would bring our state courts under the FOIA law that they're currently exempt from. So we're very excited about that and uh, hopeful to see some motion in Springfield on that very important transparency reform. That is because once it goes into that branch of our state government, they don't have to give up anything. That's correct. Yeah, they've basically exempted themselves. You know, the law has written said government in general, but didn't explicitly say courts. And the courts have since ruled that that means they're not covered by FOIA. So we're hoping to get a little legislative clarity on that this session. Jeffrey Cubbage, thanks for your time. I urge all my listeners to not only check out, but maybe support the Better Government Association of Chicago. Go to bettergov.org, bettergov.org. Thank you, Jeff. You're listening to John Howell, Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennig. So Obliterated's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I had the best time. It was challenging, but it was like the showrunners. It doesn't always happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're not. This was a dream. It's no fun. Genuinely. And if it wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Like, it was. Hey, it was fine. Because I've done that. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. Well, for three years, uh, we have wondered how COVID-19 became a worldwide pandemic. Worldwide, killed over 7 million people, over a million here in the States. Uh, We had to deal with it, obviously. And we all wonder, how did it start? The U.S. Department of Energy, uh, they say it's likely the virus was released because of a lab accident in Wuhan, China, in close proximity to the wet market. The FBI has been saying this since April of 2020, but the story is still a mystery. Uh, Our next guest, Brad Garrett, spent years investigating this. Was it intentional by the Chinese? That's not likely. A lab accident? Probably more likely. 
Did it start with contaminated animals who passed it to the humans at that market as people were getting uh, the ingredients for a bat and gerbil casserole? Let's start there with Brad Garrett. He is a former FBI agent, terrorism analyst on behalf of ABC News. Brad, thanks for your time this afternoon. To learn the definitive answer, we're going to have to find some human sources, and we don't have human sources, do we? No. Well, I don't know. That, that If we do, it's certainly highly classified. But if you think about the knowns in this case, I mean, if you want to investigate a case, you want to go to where the, the incident or accident occurred. You want to talk to people in the lab. You want to analyze the lab. You want you know outside experts to look at the lab. Um, and you want to talk to people that had associations with the lab. Maybe they had worked there prior. Um, and you would also want to take a look at, quote-unquote, this wet market uh, and what that's all about and, and potentially be able to take samples there and, and so the, to better assess. I mean, in a normal case, you would do all of the above. Has any of that been done by anybody other than the Chinese? The answer is no, because they're not going to let anybody take a look at this other than through their lens. And, you know, but they basically really haven't given a definitive answer. You know, I think if you push them on it, they'd probably go to the wet, the wet market, which is basically a place where there are live animals intermixed with things that you would buy to to grocery shop, mm. if you can imagine those together. Well, it's not hard to imagine. This is a story that I've kind of leaned towards, that somebody who worked at the lab, carried the virus to the wet market, went uh, through the animals of, and into humans uh, at the wet market, and whether or not the Chinese were going to use this as a weapon down the line, it was probably an accidental lab accident. Does that make sense in your mind? Yeah, and I don't know if if the uh, if there's that intermediary stop at the wet market or, or if that's just a convenient ex excuse. Uh, well, maybe, or that the person in the lab uh, maybe inadvertently got infected themselves because mm -hmm. it was, I think, fairly clear that that lab was doing research on coronavirus. That that person or persons left the lab went to other people, went to their relatives, and it started spreading in Wuhan. And by the time the Chinese sort of figured out what they had, it was a runaway train. And I remember back right after COVID came to light, I was looking at some numbers of like the number of people in Wuhan that fly to Los Angeles mm -hmm. back then. It was like over 200 people a day. And I thought, that's 200 potential people coming here that could be infected that then went all over the United States. So I'm only suggesting that that's how quickly this stuff can spread because of all the international travel that uh, is so convenient today. Talking about the mystery of the Wuhan China lab and the wet market and the origin of COVID-19 with Brad Garrett, former FBI agent, ABC News crime and terrorism analyst. So for the sake of our discussion, let's say it accidentally got out of the lab which uh, is known for dealing with the coronaviruses and has been for a while partially funded, my understanding, by uh, U.S. Uh, interests. And then, uh, you know, it's made, it, made its way around the world. So the real question is, what if a terrorist had been behind this, and what next time should we watch for? What could they potentially do if this has nefarious intent next time? So you could come up with something far more deadly 
than coronavirus. So if you spread something, you know, like anthrax, and there's stuff worse than anthrax, but remember what hysteria anthrax caused yeah. back... Right after uh, 9-11. Exactly. And so uh, you know, there's things much more contagious, much more lethal than that. Um, you know, most of that kind of stuff is in bio labs that have fairly decent security. I have heard complaints or read about complaints that the lab in Wuhan didn't have, they weren't up to speed on uh, protocols, safety protocols, which, uh, you know, obviously may have led to what happened. Who knows? Um, But it's really important, John, to get to the bottom of this because it informs us, A, how it got out, but B, it also sheds a light on countries that are doing research on things like coronavirus, because clearly the North Koreans actually even have a biological weapons program. The belief is that obviously China, but also Russia and Iran, to name others, may also have biological programs. So the Chinese are not going to help us with this. They're not going to cooperate. So we don't don't have human sources. If we do, they're deep, deep classified information, obviously. Do you think our intelligence services are working with phone intercepts and recorded conversations to try to get to the bottom of this so we know more next time? Inevitably, there will be a next time? I think so. I think the idea is if you can wrap your arms around what happened here, it may give you at least a place to start when it happens again. Why did the Department of Energy specifically and then the FBI release their their reports on the origins of COVID and the White House seems so out of step with it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I was asked that earlier today and it's, uh, are you relying more on the investigators and the scientists to make the statements? Well, maybe. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons, John, is that the, as we've talked throughout this conversation, I mean, the evidence is sort of squishy, right? I yeah. mean, we don't, it, it's, it's just not there. And that's why you see these terms like more likely than, than quote unquote, it did happen this way. Uh, a lot of missing pieces here, unfortunately. And the way our politics play when inevitably Fauci is subpoenaed and he gets in front of Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and others. We're not going to learn much from that scenario either. Uh, No, other than a lot of arguing. Correct. Mr. Garrett, thank you very much. We appreciate your analysis and your intellect on this, and we'll have you back as the story continues. Sounds great. Thank you, John. Take Take care. This is John Howell, Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. Neil Steinberg is a terrific writer for the Sun-Times. I read him every time he is published in the Sun-Times, and this one caught my eye because it's not just a, a blood-and-guts politics. It's something I talk about repeatedly here on this program. The way we draw these districts on a local, state, or federal level, it's asinine, and it's time for it to change. Reading from his column today, the 23rd Ward is located A, north of the 13th Ward. B, south of the 13th Ward. C, east of the 13th Ward. D, all of the above. Answer, 
D. The 23rd looks like a reverse capital F, closing its jaws around the squirming 13th Ward, one of the many torturous shapes created last year when the ward map of Chicago was gerrymandered into a crazy jigsaw puzzle, diluting the power wielded by voters Tuesday, and we wonder why so many stay home. I'm guessing we are talking to Neil Steinberg, ensconced someplace in his office in the northern suburbs. He's not going to have to deal with the Kennedy when it's torn up later this month. He's also, I've been told, on a brand new cell phone. Neil, welcome back to the Big 89, sir. How are you? I'm well, thank you. A little shaken from the whole cell phone experience, you know. It's, it's such an integral part. It's like part of our body. And like someone takes away your right hand and gives you a slightly different one. Um, but the old one was six years old. It was starting to brick. And I figured I'm going to be standing there in front of the exploding Hindenburg. And I'm going to hold this thing up to my nose. And it's not going to take a picture. I thought I'd better get a new one while my, I can. My cell phone, which is an iPhone 8, it no longer hooks to my home for some reason, my Internet at home. It hooks up to the, uh, the uh, router here. It hooks up to the, uh, uh, the, the one in my car. It no longer hooks to I, I got to go to a new phone myself. It's that doggone the I ghost of Steve eight. Jobs. That's it. what it I is. I got rid of it. You know, I, I had Nate for six years, and, uh, and I'm taking a trip in a while, and I just said, you know, the thing was like it wouldn't boot up, it wouldn't this, it wouldn't that. I, you know, normally I would just wait until it utterly died. And I thought, okay, be a man, go get your new phone. The paper's paying for it anyway. And uh, I just, I, yeah, I, can't, I don't feel quite good yet. I mean, it's within the hour that this happened. <laughs> we probably should talk about something more important. Well, as you wrote, the council, the council races in particular were the usual dog's breakfast of the serious and the silly. Our gerrymandering looks like some of the worst in the nation, big city-wise. But then I look at the congressional districts in Illinois, and it's, and it's as bad. It's as bad every place, no matter if it's blue here or Ted, uh, red in Texas or red in Florida. How can we change this system so politicians can't pick their own constituents? We need to have the voters do it. We need to have independent panels. I mean, it's funny. My assignment was write something about the aldermanic races. And I looked at the 50 races, and it just... It was just like this clown show, and I didn't want to focus on individuals. And then I, I thought back to the maps, and I thought, you know, why focus on personalities when the whole system is corrupt? And, you know, norm normally that stuff is, is conspiracy theory, right? It's, you know, fake election and all that sort of And this is actually, it's not a fake election, but the thing is without question rigged. It's rigged in a racial way. You know, it's funny. For all the personality you think we have, you're either a white alderman, you're a, a, a black alderman, or you're a Hispanic alderman. And now there's, an, there's one Asian ward, which is like the big, you know, now welcome us into the 21st century. And there's something really sad about that. It's something very anti-community. I and mean, later in the column, I talk about the 36th ward, which is eight miles long and in places a block wide. And there's no community there. There's no anything. It's just done to, to, for the people who are already in power to hold on to power and to keep people from being able to mobilize where they live and, and, and get themselves elected. And it just, it, you know, it, it seemed a thing for me to say rather than to focus on, you know, Ed Burke leaving or whatever. Um, well, how do we break the stranglehold? The politicians pick their own constituents. I talked to members of uh, different civic societies who, you know, they, they try to deal with this on a Chicago level, a Springfield level, some in Washington, D.C., each and every time. And, of course, those who are already in, 
they're going to quash every effort to give up that power. Uh, we could start by they, they had a, a, a bill last year that would have forbidden aldermen from having second jobs. One reason people cling, these aren't like social do-gooders who are trying to help the city. These are, are Sharpies who want to try to fill their own pockets. They want to keep their good jobs. And so they're getting paid $142,000 a year basically to help drum up business for their law firm, their insurance firm, whatever. And I think if we stop, if we shut that spigot a little bit, we would get people who actually cared and they wouldn't try to gerrymander the map quite so much because they would understand that voters have a right to elect people from their communities to represent them and not have the communities change every time to try to keep some sort of imaginary strength. And first of all, most of the time, the city council is a rubber stamp anyways. It's just a hallelujah chorus for the mayor only in the past four years because Lori Lightfoot is so unlikable and so rebarbative and so alienating everyone who's ever crossed her path, as my column tomorrow touches upon, um, that, you know, that they actually had some clout or had some, some ability to say no just because they were so fed up with it. Tell my listeners a story that you wrote about regarding Mike Royko's son, Sam Royko, uh, the attorney running in the first ward. Uh, I just my political editor, Scott Fornick, said, well, maybe you want to do something on Sam. You knew his dad. And I called him on the phone. He was nice as itself. I said, you know, your dad was really proud of you, and maybe I can come and watch your campaign. We can have lunch and blah, blah, blah. And we set the whole thing up. I figured, why not? And then he, he canceled it, scheduling conflict, and I never heard back from him again. I, mean, I didn't pound on his door because I figured just as well. But then I remembered, you know, I taught journalism at Loyola, and I, you know, looking at 21 Dewey faces and asking them if anyone knew who Mike Royko was, and one hand went up. And, of course, he lost because, you know, that's the thing. It's like, it's like with the Kennedys. You know, we assume that what we held holy back when we were young is still holy. And guess what? Tempest Fugit. You know, times change. And people don't care about that anymore. And that's why I got, I got readers who got really mad at me. Like, oh, Mike Royko was legendary. You're nobody. I'm like, yeah, that's actually right. I, I'm not arguing that. But, you know, that was in the mid-90s. And now things are different. And you can't just show up with a famous name and win. Um, and again, I'm not, I'm not putting him down. We had a great chat. Um, you know, I, I, politicians as a rule, either because the paper's weaker or they, they can reach over our heads in social media, they, they just don't care about the press as much as they used to. And I, I see that. So, I, I, you know, it's, it's not just him, it's everybody. I mean, my column tomorrow in the paper is trying to get Lori Lightfoot to go on the record to talk, you know. And, and I actually looked her in the eye and said, you know, it would humanize you. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, you know, she's tough and she's smart. And she was historic. I get that. But boy, she just never, you have to have some semblance of uh, essentially walking into a room and people, you, you can relate to people who are like her. You know, I've, I've talked to Lori Lightfoot a couple of times and I've met her in person a couple of times. And uh, she was always just, I, and I don't mean to say this with any sort of uh, soft misogyny, but I found her to be a bit frosty. Now, I, I find men also to be a bit off-putting. So I don't really think it's a gender deal. It certainly has nothing to do with her sexuality or her sex. But you've, even Paul Vallis seems more warm and friendly than uh, Lori Lightfoot. Well, Lori didn't like, I mean, you, to be a politician, you know, you got to walk into a room and glad-hand people. It's, it's a terrible job. And it takes a certain personality. When she yeah. first ran, I, I, talk, I talked to her campaign manager. She hated going into a room of strangers and having to go <laughs> glad hand them. Yeah. I would hate it too. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I look at her as a mayor, you know, I, I can't vote in Chicago, but I probably would have voted for her because I, I thought she tended to do the right thing and she tended to make the right decisions. But it's just, 
you know, you have to have allies. You have to work with people. And she was terrible at that. She was really bad at it. What she was good at was alienating people and, and insulting. And I, look, when it, was, when it was the FOP, remember, into the open mic, clown or whatever yeah, she said, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I mean, she, you know, she had a sense of humor. And she had a lot going for her, and I'm not so sure that we're not going to miss her when the next mayor takes over. So, uh, you know, I had nothing to get. Look, uh, uh, Lauren Fitzpatrick and I did the big profile that helped get her elected, right? We talked to her mom. We talked to Amy. We, you know, we did an a in-depth look into her. She was, a, she was on her basketball team in high school, which just blows wow. my mind. I saw photos. Must have been fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and look, we grew, we're both Ohio kids. We grew up two years apart, and she was 50 miles southwest uh, of me where I grew up. And so, you know, I kind of felt, and, and maybe it's like that Ohio chip or something. You come to the big city, and then you feel like you have to struggle or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying is is that, uh, I, I, I don't know, I, I'm, I, I'm not a political expert. Let me, let me ask you this, what, and this is from Bill Cameron, who's uh, seen a lot of politics in his 50-plus years. Um he thinks that urban areas similar to Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, Philly, wherever, essentially they are ungovernable in this day and age because of a variety of different reasons and that we are now entering an era of one-term big city mayors. I, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I think if you've got, I mean, look at Daly, right? Daly wasn't Mr. Personality. But he and, was. Uh, he was. He was essentially, he could, you know, he would, Daly was Daly, so was his old man, so were his brothers, but... He could relate to Chicagoans. I don't think Lori Lightfoot ever had that talent. Um, well, I mean, Daly, I think he was like ours. Okay, he, you know, he he couldn't talk. He couldn't, you know. He and he wasn't his old man who was going to every funeral and doing that sort of thing. But Daly had a way of co-opting everybody. Okay, in other words, he he won you over. If you remember when Lori Lightfoot showed up, she was you know city council like, hey, you guys are all corrupt. Uh, I mean, if you haven't read Fran Spielman's piece on why she lost, I'm just quoting from it, so I don't want to pretend like anything else, but that, you know, that blew up the country. I got a million hits on Tuesday yeah. um, just because, she, you know, and again, look at, look at Fran. Okay, she, she's been covering the city off for 30 years, and, and, and Lori Lightfoot said, I'm not going to talk to you because you're white, which was insane. That she was didn't want to talk to her because she, she was smart and, and, you know, tough but fair, and she, and she didn't want someone who was smart, tough, and fair looking over her. You know, you have to take those hits. It's not, you know, it's like the Godfather. It's not personal. It's just business, you know. And reporters are just conveying, if you do something stupid, they make you, they, they say it. If you do something smart, they say it. And you can't be looking back on the time you did something stupid and they told the city about it and resent that because it just makes you worse, you know. So I, 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 I mean, I, I'm sorry. I think uh, you know, I don't want. I we're a five one c three now, John. So I'm not supposed to take sides on things. So oh. you know, it, 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 it depends. The election will be very. Let's say Chicagoans have a clear choice. Okay. Yes, they'll have a very clear choice in April. You're absolutely right. That's one thing that we can look forward to. Pick uh, the A or B. Uh, you'll have a clear choice in April. Neil, I have to go. We have basketball coming up. John, always a pleasure. Always good to talk with you. You be well, my friend. Thank you. Go fine-tune that new uh, that new cell phone. I don't think it sounds that great this time around. It may be your service, though, yeah. not the phone. Come on in. The water is fine. Don't say that. I'll worry about it then. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, well, it's not great. But that may be the, that may be the service. So tell the Sun-Times, <laughs> look into the service. Phone, we'll see if that's... It's the end of it, too. It's, 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 it's a WLS phone system, I think. It, it might be operator error, Neil. All right. Thank you, sir. Take care. Have a great day. We'll read more in the uh, Sun-Times. It's all silly, isn't it? Just silly. Yeah, that's yeah, the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. It really is silly. Jeez. It's silly, silly, silly. No.
Silly. It is silly. It's it is just silly. Silliness, that's all it is. It is. It is silly, completely silly. John Howell, Essential Cuts. Check back every weekday for another episode of John Howell, Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What Women Binge, wherever you listen.